I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Hello Mentor listeners, it's Stephen Kukulis here. It's that time again when Mark Boris and I bring you a bonus episode in the lead up to December's RBA announcement, which is the first Tuesday of every month. It's been a big year, so there's always lots to talk about. Mark's a bit crook. So instead, I've got Jonathan Leander sitting down with me who works with Mark. He's a young gun and keenly watches the Australian economy. Hey, Kooky. Good to be here. Great to have you. John and I are going to be chatting about what happened in November, reflect on what's happening uh, in the past year, and where we might be heading in 2023. G'day, Jono. Uh, Steve is here. Mark's feeling a little bit crook at the moment, unfortunately. So it's you and me filling in for our monthly update on the RBA house prices and the economy. So looking forward to a great chat. Get well soon, Mark. You know, it's not great, but there seems to be a little bit of a, a comeback in some of this illness in the economy. You know, we thought we would sort of been getting over this COVID shock and the implications that had for jobs and the economy and business, but there's just a bit of a hint that it's coming back. So get well soon, Mark. Yeah, get well soon, Mark. And, you know, someone's got to do the monthly update for everyone listening. And so we're here to do it. We do. And look, I think the really critical thing is, as we're sitting here now, RBA board meets next week. We've had in the last month, well, an interesting thing. So uh, to, to give us some credit, Mark and I were expecting the RBA to go 25 basis points in November. Lo and behold, they did. When we look at the reasons why they only went 25 instead of 50 that some people were talking about, and certainly central banks, the Federal Reserve, the Reserve Bank in New Zealand, you know, they're slamming on 75 point rate hikes still. The RBA only went 25 because they're they're seeing signs of the economy cooling off, Uh, that they're seeing, importantly, that a lot of the reasons that caused this inflation problem that we've got, remember that the RBA does try to get that inflation rate in annual terms between 2% and 3%. It's currently at 7%. Uh, The reasons why that happened are now starting to reverse, and in no particular order, global economic growth is starting to slow down. You know, we know the rate hikes in the US, in the Eurozone, in Canada, New Zealand. You know, we're seeing global economic activity slow down. That is always the prerequisite for inflation coming back down. So that's one tick for the lower inflation climate. We'll look at the supply chain issues. Remember, 
back uh, in the middle of this year or the first half of this year, supply chain issues. We'd run out of uh, the chips that went into car manufacturing and a whole lot of other things. Shipping container rates had gone from, you know, 1500 US dollars for a 20-foot container to 10000 They're back to 2000 So that higher cost of doing business and just getting the imported items into the into the country has now slowed down. The, the delivery times have eased. So if you're wanting a car now, you don't have to wait 10 months. You still have to wait a little bit, but, you know, Toyota are now, for example, producing 23% more cars than they're, um, than they're uh, budgeted for. So we're getting this supply chain issue. So the things that cause inflation to go up are now easing. Hasn't shown up in our inflation data yet. It will. And that's why the RBA only went 25 basis points in the past month. Also in the past month, well, we've had a range of really interesting indicators. Retail sales were weak in the month of October. They actually fell 0.2% the first fall this year. So we consumers are reacting to the higher interest rates, the falling house prices, which is denting our wealth. Uh, we had CapEx, you know, private sector business investment, you know, a really important part of the economy, surprisingly fell uh, 0.6% in the September quarter. doesn't sound like a big fall, but we need the CapEx to go up, not down. And so when the RBA board meets next week, you know they'll be mulling over all of this, plus the fact that they've already delivered 275 points of rate hikes. That's in this a cycle. lot of rate hikes. There's a lot in there. And they're going to be saying, yeah, do we really need to sort of slam more on to this sort of rate hiking cycle? The short answer is they probably will but then they'll probably put in the words. So arguably what they say will be more important than what they do. And if they you know, do the 25-point hike, for example, and then they say, look, we're going to take a pause. We reckon we've got a pipeline of a lot of rate hikes in there. Uh, we know there's a lagged effect from when we announce a rate hike to when it impacts on you, know, you and me, our borrowing, our spending, and as a business person, as consumers, there is a lag, and that lag can be anywhere from three to 12 months. So they're probably going to be signalling, yep, we're getting close to the top of the interest rate hiking cycle. So I've got a question, Kuki. We're seeing, um, as you've said, retail sales have dropped down, business investment has dropped down a bit. Um, heading to the Christmas period and the holidays where, you know, typically we sort of see the biggest consumer spending of the year, will that mask um, that sort of short uptick? Do you think that's going to mask what the actual underlying trend is in terms of uh, where consumer sentiment around the economy is? Well, the funny thing about this Christmas period, you're spot on that a lot of retailers get about a third of their annual sales in a six-week period. Right. In, in, about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now until Christmas Day and even the post-Christmas sales. That's when they get about a third of their sales. So it's quite an important part. And this, and this is where this lag effect that I was talking about too. Remember the rate, first rate hike was in May. Then we had one in June, July, every month since. So your point about now us consumers reacting to those earlier rate hikes is coming through. And while, look, I don't think people are completely running away from their spending and enjoyment of the festive season, the summer holidays and all these other things, there is clear evidence that we're tweaking back that what we're spending and how much we're spending, that rather than necessarily, you know, really being flamboyant with our money. When interest rates were low, house prices were booming, you know, we were spending like crazy. You know, re retail sales earlier this year were rising at an annual rate around about 17%. Unbelievable. Now that we've got this pullback, I think that's going to continue. Consumer sentiment's still pretty weak. Uh, so when consumers are feeling gloomy, they tend to be a bit cautious with their spending. Oh, I better not spend. Oh, you know, the the energy bill's coming in. Yeah, the oh, monthly payments have gone up another 100 bucks. So, you know, you, you're cautious in how much you spend. In fact, you're probably forced to scale back your spending and that'll feed through into the slower economy. And then with another lag, 
us economists love lags, you know, we're probably going to be starting to see that inflation rate coming down. That's the story for 2023. And does, I mean, we'll get to it when we go through the checklist, but I've seen some commentary about maybe the RBA with some of the indicators we're seeing shouldn't actually hike at all and stay stay steady heading into the break. The RBA decision affects consumer sentiment in such a big way. And so much of the, the media narrative around what's been going on is, is so negative. Like, should we be more positive about where things are at to get us through and prevent a potential, you know, the R word, the recession? Yeah, good, a fantastic point. The RBA probably doesn't need to hike rates next week in December. They can probably afford to sit tight because they've got that pipeline of a bunch of rate hikes coming in. The global economy is slowing down. And we're still waiting to see the effect but, of what yeah, but they But they have this, I'll call it a mini dilemma. If they don't go, then there's a risk that the capital markets will think, oh, hang on, the RBA is not serious about getting inflation down because inflation is still very high. And the Fed, as we are saying before, the Fed's hiking like crazy in the US. Uh, the Reserve Bank in New Zealand, Bank of Canada, UK, they're all still hiking and hiking quite aggressively to show their anti-inflation credentials. The Reserve Bank don't want to be completely divorced from that party, if you so, so to speak. So they probably do deliver it. But but the other thing you, you point out is, is also really important. You know, while we're sort of saying, oh, the economy's slowing down, an economic slowdown does not, and I emphasise, not automatically equal a recession. It, it, it means we're slowing down. Down And the other thing that came out in the last couple of weeks, which, again, Mark and I have been chatting about for several months now, is the health of the labour market. We saw that in the month of October, the October employment numbers, uh, employment was solid, unemployment, a fresh 48-year low, 3.4% unemployment rate. We've not seen that since 1974. That's great news for the economy. Well before my time. Well before your time. (laughs) And when you think about the jobs market, If you've got a job, you earn some money. You earn some money, you'll spend some of it. Or maybe turn it on its head. If you're unemployed, you earn nothing and you can't spend. So that actually is putting a floor under the economy, which is a good thing. Uh, And we should emphasise that. The other element of the uh, labour market numbers that came out in the last few weeks was the wages side. And while they were not booming because the public service wages are being held back because a lot of state governments haven't been paying much of an increase to you know police and teachers and nurses and healthcare professionals and other sort of caring professions that the state governments look after. Private sector wages, including bonuses, so including sort of retention payments that a lot of people are actually getting paid now, so the base salary plus bonuses, broadly defined, actually rose at an annual rate of 4%. That's actually pretty good. So, you know, here we are still saying the slowdown's coming, you know, we've got to be careful, we've got to be cautious. And a lot of people are extrapolating the slowdown into a hard landing, which you touched on, the R word recession, unlikely because I think we've got um, a degree of health still in the labour market. And while people have a job and while they're getting a slight increase in their rates of pay, it puts a floor under the economy, which reduces the risk of recession in 2023. As we're seeing all this sort of sentiment sort of flow through to uh, the housing market, I don't often look at the numbers, but uh, in preparation for this chat, top markets in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne are down, they're quite a bit yep. of a big correction. They've been hit. You know, we've seen a lot of growth in other markets in Perth, in Brisbane, Adelaide, and, and they haven't fallen off as much. Are Sydney and Melbourne coming back in line with where they really should be? And yeah. uh, are the other markets, are they overvalued now relative to where maybe they should be? Yeah, look, you, you've touched on a really good point uh, that, Australia doesn't have one housing market. You know, what happens in Perth in terms of house prices, for example, is very different to what happens in Hobart, to Sydney, Brisbane, 
regional areas, which of course have become increasingly popular during the COVID lockdowns that we had a, a year or two back. Uh, what we've been seeing since the start of the rate hiking cycle in May, Sydney prices have been hit hardest. They were the highest. So in a sense, you could sort of understand why with rate hikes and um, and the economy now starting to slow, you'd see Sydney weaken most. It had the the higher you go, the larger you fall sort of thing. They're down about 11% approximately according to the core logic numbers. Uh, Melbourne's slowing, but the rate of decline is actually moderating. In fact, the numbers that came out, they had a big hit early on in the in the, in the the year, and now the rate of decline is actually fairly moderate. Brisbane, which was an absolutely gangbusters booming market for a couple of years, is actually now caught up to Melbourne. It's down about 7-odd percent. So Brisbane's coming off the uh, off the boil too quite, quite rapidly. And all that influx of people, which helped fuel uh, the Brisbane Gold Coast Southeast Queensland um, price boom is now moderating. And the really fascinating thing when I look at the city by city regional house prices, since the first rate hike, Adelaide and Perth and Brisbane house prices are higher today than they were when the first rate hike was delivered by the RBA in May. Wow. So, Setibus Paribus, I think that's the Latin for other things to think about. I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. Most famous quote in uh, what HC is- Economics. <laughs> yes. Um, et al. Um, no. But, yeah, so so it tells me quite clearly. So if Sydney is minus 11% in terms of house prices from the start of the rate hiking cycle, Adelaide's plus 3% or thereabouts, other factors than plain old interest rates are having an impact. And as we said, it probably was because Sydney had that incredibly, incredibly high price. You know, the median house price, a million something dollars is extraordinary. Adelaide's relatively affordable, as is Perth. And Perth is still benefiting from, you know, what's still a pretty buoyant mining sector. So I think all the, uh, remember that also WA had a very strict border lockdown in the in the low point of the COVID um, uh, disaster. They've opened up the border. So a lot of people are flocking back in adding to a bit of a, a demand there. So very different demographic factors can have an impact on house prices too. So um, that said, I think that with the, you know, the broad picture on housing, there's probably a bit more of a weakness to come. You know, you do, it doesn't stop on a dime. You know, the house prices, when they do fall, they tend to fall for about a year. Now we've had, what, seven, eight months of decline. So there's probably a few more months of decline to come. No doubt about that. But in the early months of 2023, I'm, I'm thinking that with the recent government announcement of a big increase in immigration, you know, 235,000 net migration, 195 of those skilled workers, and by definition, skilled workers... They've got money. They've got money. They get they get a job, and we've got a really tight labour market, as we were saying a moment ago. They're going to want to certainly rent in the first instance, but then possibly buy. But even the rental market's so tight that that sort of spills over into the into the investor market, perhaps coming back earlier than the owner-occupier market rebounding. So population growth is going to be a really important part of that uh, equation. Uh, and, it's, and if we are in the early months of next year and it's increasingly clear that the RBA is on hold, doesn't mean they're going to cut. No, we won't go into that space just yet because they're not going to cut any time. Because as you, Mark, said, they've, they've normalised. We've tried to normalise rates. Yeah. And the fear, This is the, it's not just necessarily the level of interest rates, it's whether they keep moving. So people might be able to put this new interest rate into their mortgage calculator, five and a half, whatever the, whatever the rate happens to be. And if there's an increasingly 
confident position that they're not going to go to six and seven, then people say, look, I can afford that. And they'll slowly move back into the market. The other thing that's been happening in the last oh, month or two is that the auction clearance rates have no longer declined. Now, the volume of sales is relatively low each week. But if you look at the auction clearance rates that come through uh, in, again, the big cities, Sydney and Melbourne, where they're predominantly auction sales, the auction clearance rates have been pretty good. They've been in the 60s. I think Sydney last week was actually 69%. So you had that, uh, you know, people people are buying. Right. So, so what, even though the, what's on the market has gone down, what is on the market is moving. Is moving, correct. Yeah. So perhaps the, the sellers, the vendors are sort of thinking, Okay, I'm yeah. Given that the my house has you know, gone up so much, I'm happy to take a little bit of a haircut. I'm happy to drop ten percent. I thought my house was worth x x minus ten percent. It's still way more than it was three, five, let alone ten years ago. And if you're selling for reasons of, you know, you're upgrading, downgrading, tree change, sea change, whatever, and you're coming from Sydney, you can buy elsewhere in Australia pretty comfortably and have a fair whack of cash left over. So I think that dynamic. Uh, in terms of not just demographics with population growth and these sorts of things, but the the dynamic on where people want to live, working from home, you know, people sort of cashing out what's still been a fantastic investment is perhaps playing out too. And how much of a um, role does energy play in house prices? So, so Western Australia, obviously different electricity market and they're, you know, where the gas reserves are so much, uh, much lower relative price and, um, you know, electricity is fueling so much of the inflation rate. Um, how much of an impact does that have on keeping house prices strong and generating interest? Yeah, energy, it's a, it's a pretty big ticket item that we all pay. Our electricity bill, gas bill come in once a quarter usually, sometimes once a month, but, you know, and the price is going up and it still hasn't fully gone up yet. There's still a bit of a, uh, a shock to our power bills when we get them in the new year, we'll think, oh my goodness, did I really spend that much money on electricity? Um, so there's still that shock to come in and that cost of living pressure more generally, you know, if, and that's an essential. If you're still spending money on essentials, so your um, rent, your mortgage repayments, your energy costs, fruit and veggie prices, these sorts of things have, have gone up a lot. The floods that are going to impact a lot of um, market gardens and the veggie prices there too. You might think, oh, that's, yeah, we're not going to sort of talk about that. But it does impact on your ability to uh, have spare cash, if you like, or additional borrowing capacity when yeah. you're looking to buy a house. So these sort of things will be in the backdrop of people's minds, I dare say. But the issue that's going to be unfolding as we we're discussing, if inflation does start to turn turn down. If the government, who I know is grappling with this issue of the energy costs, what are they going to do? They're going to put on a profits tax and sort of subsidise, you know, our power bills. There's some talk in Canberra that they're looking at some sort of solution. It might come, you know, relatively quickly. It might right. really happen by the time people are listening to the to this uh, podcast. Wow. They're, they're wanting to do it before Christmas, I think, to yeah. get to get the announcement out there because it's. A, and to be fair, it's a really tough decision. You know, you it's. You can't really win whatever you do. You've yeah. got to put on a tax or you've got to do a subsidy or you've got to cap exports of gas and coal and, you know, there's a problem with the state government. So it's a really messy thing. But just because it's messy doesn't mean you don't do it. They've got, they've got to do something. And it will be – it won't be perfect, but it might just cap these energy prices. That's an important thing to look at. And if they do it reasonably well, I think some of that fear that we've gotten, some of the reasons why consumer sentiment's so gloomy, the cost of living – will be moderated a little. And before we get into, you know, what all these things mean for the rate decision, 
Um, what else can we expect over the period where we don't have the RBA meeting? We, you know, we might hear something from Canberra, as you've said, about energy controls, but uh, I imagine it's a pretty quiet period. What else comes yeah. out? It's a quiet period after the RBA board meeting uh, in early December. They don't meet in January. You know, hopefully the RBA members have had a torrid year. They're sunning themselves at the beach too. So uh, <laughs> hopefully they have a bit of a break too. However, and I think, and that's fine, we still get a run of economic data. The Bureau of Stats still produce their data. CoreLogic still produce their house price data. And yeah, So we'll still be looking at the economy. And again, the anecdotes from retailers, how was Christmas? Did people spend up or did they you know, hunker down a little bit will be a really important anecdote, which will show up in, eventually in the hard data. But nonetheless, that'll be an interesting thing. I think the focus after we get through this um, uh, RBA board meeting will be on global conditions. You know, that is really important to Australia. You know, wh- one of the things that I do, and you know, Mark and I have chatted about this, I think on every podcast we've done, is what's happening to the global economy. Wake up every morning, what's the US economy done? What's the US stock market done, the bond market, what's the Fed done with interest rates, let alone what's happening in China with its COVID lockdowns, which and I've got, of course, I've got no idea what they're doing, but are they easing some of the restrictions, you know, because they're uh, significant pushback, they're, they're yeah. smashing their economy in doing that, which yeah. is, okay, so I'm not going to even pass judgment on that, you know, but if they do relax some of their lockdown restrictions and the economy opens up a bit more, that's good news for the economy because it means China's growing and if China grows it's great for Australia a third of our exports go to China so I think in that late December and then through January before the RBA meets in February gosh we're throwing forward a long way here uh, we'll be looking at the global economy what's the Fed going to do with interest rates they have their next decision in the middle of December what's happening to their economy are they getting a change in unemployment up, not down. You know, there's some indicators there that the US economy is, you know, really slowing and slowing abruptly. And if we get through to sort of late January and we find that the US economy's sort of stalled, um, has big implications for us here. So I think it'll be global watch, watching a bit of the cricket, <laughs> but also sort of assessing. Uh, that's global. It's uh, well, Australia, yeah, I West suppose Indies. it is. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it is. But uh, yeah, so we'll sort of probably be having that refocus on what's happening to the global economy. And then in late January, before the RBA gets back into the full swing of producing data and getting ready for their February board meeting, we'll have a complete stock take on where are we. And by then too, don't forget, we'll have a lot more domestic information about whether these rate hikes that started in May are impacting on on us, on our, on the economy, on housing, on consumer spending, and on business investment as well. So I guess without the RBA actually, uh, no matter what they do, uh, as we'll get to in a second, it's almost a self-imposed break period to see what the impact of the lags. Uh, it is. The, and yeah. It's actually a good thing in a yeah. sense because if you meet every month, you can sort of have a bit of a mad panic about, oh, should we go, should we go, should we go? So in a sense, and, and don't forget the RBA meets more frequently than most other central banks. You know, the RBA meet every month except for January, so 11 meetings a year. For example, uh, the US Federal Reserve, only meets eight times a year. Now, it doesn't sound like a big difference, but in a sense, it when you add up all of the effects of meeting all the time, and oh, the economy hasn't changed much. Uh, do we still have to hike? Yes, no, yes. So you have this sort of debate going on. So a self-imposed pause, that pause in January is actually a pretty good thing and it allows for the next bouts of retail sales data, the quarterly inflation numbers come out in late January for the December quarter, which will include these energy prices. That'll be an absolutely vital issue for for uh, early 2023. Well, should we get into how that information affects their decision? Yes. Yeah. Well, now, Jono, 
we're going to be having a look at the infamous, the Kooks Monetary Policy Checklist, which World Mark famous. and I yeah. reintroduced a couple of months ago. And the feedback we've had already is that it's actually a really nice way of looking at the economy rather than just us talking, which is great too. But the checklist that we've got on this uh, whiteboard here, if you could sort of move the pieces for me. I can. And just to reiterate, what we've got down that left-hand column is a range of economic indicators, GDP, inflation, labour market. So we've spoken about them. And then we've got three columns. Does each of those indicators indicate a tightening in interest rates going up or they're neutral? RBA leaves rates on hold, or in some instances, are they sort of screaming out that the RBA needs to ease cut interest rates? So, John, let's go through this. So, let's do it. first one, GDP. I'd put that in the in the neutral column because we do know that uh, GDP growth is starting to cool off. It's not bad, but it is slowing down from that earlier uh, momentum. Inflation clearly tightening. Inflation's way above the target range. And while there's a hint of optimism that it's topping out, that's only a forecast. So looking at the hard data on uh, the inflation rate, you'd say RBA still has to hike. On the labour market, as we've just discussed, tightening, no doubt, 3.4% unemployment rate, participation rate going up. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's incredibly low. So we've got that scenario and, and linked to that one on wages. I'd put that in neutral. And as we were just discussing, you know, there, there is evidence that that uh, wage momentum is starting to lift, but it's not at a level yet that would cause you that wage price spiral yeah. concern. And and what does it mean that inflation's so high and if wage growth, you know, picks up beyond what it's been historically for the last decade, but only just by a little bit, we're still well below inflation. So are Aussies having a real wage cut? Great question. Short answer, yes. When inflation's at 7%, wages even at 3.5%, it's pretty simple, the equation. We are having to confront a 7% increase in our cost of living, energy, petrol, insurance premiums, the whole gamut of stuff that we spend our money on, and our wages are only going up at 3 or 3.5%. Something's got to give, and that's got to give is we spend less. We cut back on what, what I term nice-to-do things. Some of the things are essential. You can't cut spending on a whole bunch of stuff, but you can cut back on eating out, international holiday, travel and these sorts of things, unfortunately. And we're seeing evidence of that already, that people are sort of scaling back on things that aren't absolutely essential or they're redirecting. Instead of having a nice holiday to Bali or, or Greece or, Greece or yeah, somewhere, yeah. you know, maybe you just have a holiday down at Bateman's Bay in Maloa yeah. or somewhere, which is still really nice, don't get me wrong. 
Anyway, so that's an important thing. International economy, I'm going to put into the easing side. That's one of the checklist indicators that has the economy slowing down, as we discussed. US slowing markedly at risk of recession. Europe, China, and as we hear now, China hasn't ended its lockdowns. Chinese economy is slowing. So I'd put that in the easing case. On Before we move on, on the international front, I mean, since you and Mark last spoke, there's been a, a whole lot of developments in the China-Australia situation. Um, yes. We're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, President Xi and Anthony Albanese met and it's a good sign for the economic relationship as well? It is. We had uh, that relationship frozen previously uh, for a whole lot of reasons that I think uh, the previous government was very strong on sort of where did the um, coronavirus come from and China got a little offended with that. The Taiwan issue where the US and China are at loggerheads over what's going to happen with Taiwan and Australia, of course, are aligned to the US and China got a bit angry about that. So now there's been some thawing of the freeze, if you like, and that's good because China does take a huge proportion of our uh, exports. And while the uh, export uh Restrictions that China had on our wine, lobsters, barley, and these sorts of things haven't, for a bit, yeah. haven't ended. It would be nice to think that in the not too distant future, China says, oh, "Look, Australia, you're being much more uh, constructive global citizen." Will and towards us in particular, the Chinese. So we'll let them ease. So that's a good thing. But that said, the international economy is still slowing down. That's pretty hot. Um, house prices. House prices. Well, I'd put them into the. Oh gosh, I'd put them in between neutral and easing. So they're not quite. Easing yet? So on oh, next one across on, oh, neutral on, on yeah, easing yeah. because they fall as we just discussed down seven percent yeah. from the peak, still trending lower and not a problem. So they're not unambiguously in easing. So and again, I think the RBA would be content after that twenty five percent increase. You know, in the in the eighteen months up to early this year, seven percent down. We can live with that. But if it starts to get to double digit price falls, the wealth effect starts to become a little bit more problematic. Retail sales, I'll put them, I'm going to put them into the neutral side because as we said, uh, the last couple of months have shown a pullback in retail spending. Again, a desirable thing. So we're not quite yet into the easing side for retail sales. Another two or three months, particularly as we were just discussing over that Christmas period, we see us consumers scaling back retail sales even more. I'd move that into easing. But for here and now, it's a welcome slowdown. Consumer sentiment, that's easing. We are gloomy. You know, the the uh, Westpac measure, ANZ also produced a measure of consumer sentiment. They're at, at levels consistent with recession. So we are feeling really gloomy right now, partly because cost of living, house prices turning down. These are the sort of things that make us feel, you know, just uncertain about things. Building approvals, I'm going to put them in the neutral um, side because they have come off the boil. They are slowing down. But again, there's a bit of a distortion remembering that in the COVID uh, recession, state and federal governments had a lot of building um, support measures. So there was a bring forward of construction activity. Yes, it's slowed down, but it's not a problem just yet. And it's, of course, there's a lot of constraints on supply chain issues still in building and labour market issues. Hard to get a tradie to Almost a screw almost and hammer impossible. and a nail yeah. or whatever tradies do. I'm not a tradie. Business investment I'm going to put neutral to. You know, we said that the uh, September quarter numbers were disappointing. They were. Uh, but business is still reasonably optimistic. If you look at the uh, sentiment numbers for business, unlike consumers who are gloomy, business is upbeat. But it doesn't demand a rate hike. Uh, 
So that's where the business confidence is also in the neutral column too. So we'll whack that one across. Commodity prices, I'm going to put that in neutral as well. So we're getting a lot of neutrals uh, because com- commodity prices have come down from the highs. Uh, you know, you, you're noticing that probably on your petrol costs, that's a high profile commodity price. But things like iron ore, copper, tin, wheat and wool, that, you know, the things that you know, we don't use every day and, or buy directly, but they do feed into stuff that we buy, manufactured goods and food stuffs and these sorts of things. They've come off the boil and if they even stay where they are, they'll have a disinflationary impact. So they don't matter for the RBA. Stock market, I'm going to be boring, neutral, uh, because the stock market is- it's up 2% this year. Uh, is grinding higher, yeah. yes. And, it, and that sentiment change, you know, as soon as we've see, started to see that evidence that US inflation is cooling off and some of these indicators that we've mentioned, the stock market gets a, a sigh of relief. They, they are quicker than you and me to respond to news on lower inflation. Bang, you see these and you, and you wake up every morning, oh, the Dow's up 700 points, wow. Um, yeah, so they're reacting very quickly to that. So it was weaker a couple of months ago, so that rebound in the last couple of months is encouraging, but neither here nor there. Current interest rates, I'm going to put that in the neutral column as well, that they're you know 2.85, probably a 25-point move next week from the RBA. Right in that band of where they they're sort to be. of They're neither really crunching the economy, while some people are being crunched, it's not crunching the macro economy, nor are they providing that stimulus. You know, so the RBA's moved rates from you know, what was very stimulatory to now easing. So we look at the checklist, and just by the way, not every item has an equal weighting. I want to emphasise that. Important. So, for example, inflation and the labour market are very, very important indicators. So the top end here and is so a So the lot top more, end's wa- yeah. way more important than arguably the bottom end. And you can see there that the inflation and labour market are in the tightening column. But if you look at what's in the easing column, the international economy, important, consumer sentiment, mm, sort of important. The weight of inflation and labour market alone, say RBA hikes next week, but with so many things moving from what was a tightening bias to the neutral column, that says to me that when we get to February and we do our podcast for the February board meeting, there might be one or two that have gone from neutral into the easing side. Well, even from last month, it's so interesting how many things have moved back to the middle. Some of them would be on that. The lag from rate hikes is starting to have an impact. The thing to remember, rate hikes work. You know, it's not... You know, economics can be really, really simple sometimes. You know, when the Reserve Bank put interest rates down, like they did during the COVID lockdowns and all the rest of it, we thought, great, my cost of borrowing is really low. I'm going to go out and borrow a truckload of money and I'm going to spend, which we did. And now we've got the opposite of that, interest rates going up. We think, oh, gee, you know, my cost of servicing my mortgage has gone up or my business loan, uh, I'm going to hunker down and that you you get this shift. So this checklist should move, maybe not every month every item moves, but every quarter you would expect to see some of these discs moving you know, different ways across the board. And when you get a whole lot of them in one column, you know that's what the RBA is going to do. Yeah. And it's um, it can look really complicated, but it's actually it's very simple. It's following the bouncing ball of what something happens. What's the impact of that? 
So, for example, just just as one final wrap-up point on the good old checklist, if uh, we get in the next couple of months, I won't pinpoint a month, but in the next couple of months, if we do actually find that the labour market starts to soften, that we get the unemployment rate ticking up, because, by the way, we've got job ads that have turned down a bit, you know, and the economy's slowing down, so you'd expect the labour market to weaken. But if in the next few months we get the unemployment rate going from, say, 3.4 to, say, 3.7, 3 3.8%, not a bad result. But you'd probably have the monetary policy implication. Remember, this is what the RBAs, will they hike or will they cut or will they keep them the same? That disc will move to neutral. Or if we get, for example, business investment booming, businesses say, yep, we want to really ramp up our our capital expenditure, you'd actually move that into the tightening column. Or, you know, so you can sort of think of scenarios where these discs move. But what is the important thing about this is not so much a forecast, it's what has actually happened to these various economic indicators. I think important to note, Kirky, that uh, if you're listening to this, uh, it's important to see the board that we're actually working with here. It's just a really simple summary. So head to whyhomeless.com.au or check it out in the show notes in the description. Definitely. You can sort of see what John and I are talking about when we're saying move the disc to the left or to the right. The illustration's great if you can actually tap onto that. From this whole board cookie, what are you saying the RBA is going to do when it next meets? Yeah, on balance, a tightening. So again, it's it's going to be a, a very fruitful discussion, I dare say, from the board members at the RBA. Bottom line, they do hike again. They do probably go 25 basis points to 3.1% for the official cash rate. But the debate from some of the more dovish members, the ones that are less aggressive on the rate hiking cycle might be, hey, look at some of these indicators. They might be flagging the international economy. They might be flagging the fact that, you know, current rates are already getting towards that sort of uh, less easy, more neutral, more restrictive level. So the debate will be hot, but bottom line, 25 from the RBA uh, on Tuesday. And what does that mean for, um, you know, after the Christmas period and uh, we've, we've spoken about the big R word and, you know, people are thinking about is there a recession coming, um, but you're pretty optimistic about how we head into the next year? Oh, look, at the end of the day, yes, I'm still optimistic. It's one of these things that the economy had to slow down. Here it is. For a recession to occur, you need lots of parts of the economy to go backwards. The only thing that's probably going to go backwards in the near term is housing construction activity because of that uh, pipeline of the slowing in building approvals. Business investment, while business investment disappointed in the September quarter, as we mentioned, the outlook's still positive. So you're going to get business investment with a plus sign in terms of its contribution to GDP in 2023. Particularly as lots of energy infrastructure comes, oh, comes energy on board, infrastructure. right? Firms know now that they need to ramp up their IT spending. They postponed it. Or building warehouses and, and factories. You know, the government's actually ramping up a lot of its manufacturing yes, uh, incentive yeah, and yeah. support. Now, not huge in itself, but to get a recession, that stuff doesn't happen. And the other thing about us consumers, it's a slower rate of growth. Remember, a recession is the economy going backwards. Will slow down because business investment's okay. Consumer spending will still be positive, but but quite weak. It'll still be weak, but it won't be negative. And so the talk of recession, low probability, and the important thing to remember, the RBA who have made some mistakes in this last year, as everybody who's been watching and reading this issue, the RBA has made some mistakes. And as the governor had spoken about he said, this, sorry, this he week. Apologized. Yeah. Yes, the RBA governor apologised for his guidance, his bad guidance, when he said rates on hold till 2024. My goodness, we all make mistakes, but Dr Lowe, that was a shocker. Um, uh, the interesting thing, here and now is that he doesn't, as the RBA governor, 
want his fingerprints on a recession in Australia. He doesn't want to be, say, in six months' time or 12 months' time, people sort of saying, mate, why did you keep hiking interest rates aggressively when it was obvious the international economy was turning down, when it was obvious commodity prices were turning down, when we knew house prices were turning down, why did you keep hiking? He doesn't want to have his fingerprints on a recession that comes from that, which is why already, as we were discussing earlier, they've only gone 25 and 25 in the last two meetings and why they may only go 25 uh, this time around. Internationally, into the next year, the Ukraine war has obviously had a massive impact on on uh, grain prices, on gas, as we spoke about the thawing of tensions with China. What do you think is going to happen in the global sphere that's going to impact on us? I'd like to look at 2023 in two halves, actually. I think the first half of 2023 will be weak. Uh, the rate hikes that have been delivered, problems in Ukraine, energy prices impacting Europe particularly, uh, will drag the world economy into a really weak period, whether it's a recession in a way, it doesn't matter what label we put on, it'll be weak economic activity. I also think that by, gosh, without pinpointing a month, March, April, May-ish. We won't hold you to that. No, yeah. central banks, including the Federal, realise, hey, we've done more than enough to get inflation lower. That these early indicators that we're seeing that inflation's starting to taper down a little bit will probably come through in the hard inflation data and they'll say, oh, we don't need to do as much. And it's absolutely fascinating to look at the money market interest rates in the US, not so much here in Australia, but in the US. They do have more rate hikes priced in. Yep, we'll see a few more from the Fed. But after a peak in US official interest rates in around about June 2023, They've got rate cuts priced into the latter part of 2023 and certainly into 2024. So, you know, in six months' time, we could actually be having this sort of discussion. Central banks have achieved the slowdown. Inflation is cooling off. And, hey, we do have too much monetary tightness in the system. and We've got to take some of that away with, you know, a couple of gentle interest rate cuts. That'll be the fascinating sort of left field issue, in my view, for 2023. And, you know, we're not going to be doing this uh, this podcast uh, over the break. What can listeners do to learn more about this stuff? And if they want to be following stuff, I mean, you, you've got a great uh, Twitter to follow. Oh, without saying follow me on Twitter or what my two-minute takes on the economy, which are cheeky little two-minute versions of this podcast on hot issues. No, no. But really, look, just pay attention to the economic news as it comes out. You know, the RBA... Uh, board meeting. They still put out minutes of their meetings. There's bits and pieces that do still come out. The hard economic data is still being published by the Bureau of Statistics. So watch for the next labour force numbers. Is unemployment going up? And I think vitally, and this is really important for housing, one of the things that I've learned over many years, and Mark and I have had this conversation many times over, gosh, two decades or so. We've known each other for a long time, is that when housing turns up, not so much when it slows down, but when it turns up, it's a shock. Wow, I didn't realise that it turned so quickly is sort of the thing that we discover after the event. Now, I'm yeah, not saying right. you know, rush out and buy a house. No, it depends on a whole bunch of your personal in- indicators. But you know, we've already had, as we said, the house, pri- house prices have turned down a fair bit already. And if that increase in population, the tightness in the rental market the solid performance of the labour market all of a sudden inspire people saying, well, hang on, that house that I saw uh, a year ago in Sydney is now 10, 12, 15% cheaper. Yeah, interest rates have gone up, but I've got a good job. I've got a pay rise. Um, I'm going to buy it. It's 10% cheaper than it was. And in Sydney, that's a chunk of cash. It's a huge that chunk is a of huge cash. chunk of cash. Uh, so even on a 
you know what, I think median price is about 1.2 million in Sydney, depending on who you look at. If prices are down 10, 15%, you're saving 150 grand. Um, and yes, sure, interest rates are up, no question. But I'm wondering whether uh, that, what do we call it, uh, bottom picking um, or, or bottom fishing for that low point? And bargain hunting. Bargain hunting might be the terminology. And if you see that house, and you know, for some sellers, we haven't seen it yet. There might be the odd distressed sale that comes through. And if you're a buyer, you might be able to swoop and, and get a bargain. I'm not suggesting that. But as I said, one thing that would be a, a left field view for 2023 is at this time next year, we'll be saying, oh, gee, that house price weakness was a fair way. way. Yeah. And house prices, not that they're going to boom, but they'll find a, a low point and they might just start to start to grind a little bit higher through the second half of 2023. Are you saying that when it turns, it it'll, it will notice the turn very suddenly? It usually happens, yes. Mm. You look at any long-run history of house prices and, yeah, there's doom and gloom. Oh, they're steady. They're down 3%. They're down a bit. They're down a bit. And then, well, for how's this for a recent example? The COVID lockdowns. Remember at the beginning of 2020 when, you know, we weren't happening, everyone, myself included, was forecasting a slump in house prices because unemployment was going up. And that's even with zero interest rates, yeah, or uh, official interest rates. Oh, the economy's going to be disastrous. House prices are going to be miserable, rotten. And then all of a sudden we realised they're up 5%, up 10 15 20%. Where did that come from? No immigration. I mean, the borders were shut, you know. So where did we get that 20%, 25% increase in house prices during COVID? So I'm not saying that we're going to get 25% increase you know, now, now that we've had this bit of a correction in house prices. But uh, if you find the right house, if you've got your money approved and all these other important things, you know, there, there could well be a few bargains. And I know a few uh, family, friends and contacts who are sort of in the market, then they're, they're sort of uh, overseeing the whole housing market, looking for that bargain to come through. Because as we said, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, prices down 7, 8, 9, 10, 12%. That's a whole lot cheaper than they were a year ago. So for next Tuesday, we're thinking, uh, you're you're thinking, I I don't have the expertise to make a comment on it. Um, RBA is probably looking to to go up by 25 points. Going up 25. 25 points. And then um, having a look and seeing, waiting and seeing what happens after uh, the Christmas period. When you see all the data, the January inflation numbers before we come back and uh, and start the next year. I think that's a nice summary. 25 points. What they say will be important. They'll highlight some of these issues that we've got on our checklist into the neutral and perhaps easing column. And when we get to February, look, if I was to put my hand on my heart and say, hey, what's my forecast for interest rates in the first half of 2023? I'll say they'll be on hold. I think we'll get more and more of the commentary coming through. And I know a couple of the banks uh, in recent times, I don't want to paraphrase and play because I haven't seen that updated forecast, but I know CBA, for example, is starting to say, hey, you know, we, we're after December, we'll be at the peak in the interest rate cycle. And if more in the... Uh, in the financial community are recognising that. And, of course, you know, CBA with a huge mortgage book, you know, they're, they're not saying this for fun. They're trying to forecast where things are going. If that becomes a more common theme, then, you know, we'll get into the first half of 2023, rates on hold. The fear of rates skyrocketing rather than just moving higher will be gone. And, yeah, maybe the sentiment towards housing will change and change relatively quickly.
Okay. Um, Kirky, thanks for uh, having me on to talk about this. I uh, hope we didn't burn down the house and we left it in a good spot for you and Mark <laughs> next time. All good. No, fantastic. And thank you for your contribution, Jono. You're uh, not quite as good looking as Mark, but thanks for filling in. I try. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Kirk. If you want to hear more from me and Kooky or get educated about the property market, jump over to whyhomeloans.com.au or check out the link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 